Coming up on this week's show, author and filmmaker Brian Sloan joins us to talk about the new web series, West Forties. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome, everyone, to episode 150 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from JeffAdamsWrites.com. And I'm Will from WillKnaus.com. This week's episode is brought to you in part by listeners just like you. We will have more information on how you can help support the show in just a few moments. Welcome back, everyone. I'm glad you're here listening uh, in your car or on your jog or um, where else would in the gym or whether you're just chilling at home. We are glad you have joined us for another episode. Uh, a particularly momentous episode because this, ladies and gentlemen, is 150. Yes. We have done this 150 times, uh, 150 weeks in a row. That's a lot. That is a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to put that in a little perspective, in November, we'll actually celebrate the third anniversary of the podcast. Yep. Coming up soon. So, yeah, we're almost three years old. And, yeah, we've done this. Technically, I guess we've done it more than 150 times, if you take into account bonus episodes and live episodes and whatnot. But still, official episode 150, it's, it's, I didn't think we wouldn't get here, but to be here is pretty awesome. Any, any particular highlights or moments or thoughts as we cross our 150? (laughs) (laughs) Pearls of wisdom on podcasting for 150 episodes? Uh, No, I don't have any pearls of wisdom. Um, I don't know. I think, well, when you reach certain milestones, I I don't know. You'd think I'd be better at this by now. (laughs) I mean, if I've done this 150 times, um, yeah. I don't know. It doesn't necessarily get easier, but it's not difficult either. I mean, I have always said that um, the show is, um, what's the word? I would initially think maybe you're going for organic, but maybe not. Well, organic, yes. <laughs> uh, it's organic. And in certain aspects, it's easy because this is stuff Jeff and I would be talking about and doing no matter what anyway. We just happen to do it in front of a microphone once a week. <laughs> um so that part's kind of easy. Well, it is sort of difficult, like, um, you know, kind of tr- working yourself up to be on camera and having to be at least moderately prepared so you don't sound like a complete <laughs> idiot. Uh, and, you know, we are most definitely not pros at this, and there are some weeks that are much more difficult than others. That is true. Um in fact, last week I had a bit of a. a <laughs> I had a little meltdown for a few minutes. I had a diva fit because we were in the very last section of the show, and I could not like for some reason the last sentence I couldn't I couldn't talk anymore. Words yeah. just weren't happening. <laughs> It was so, like I said, you'd think I'd be better at this by now, but no. You call it a diva moment. I think that's 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 excessive to what it was. You mean me going like, ah, this is the worst show ever. 
Yeah, I wouldn't call that a diva moment. Uh, uh, it's not like you totally walked out and went away and <laughs> fled, the, fled the premises or anything. Oh, okay. It's true. <sighs> so, what else has been going on this past week? Well, we as part of 150, we should... You oh, know, that's right. You just heard, uh, if you played the intro, you heard a brand new introduction. And for that, we have to thank voiceover artist and friend of the podcast, Derek McLean. Uh, as we were approaching 150, we kind of considered what we what we say in those in those intro words over the music, and we kind of tightened up our 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 listener promise a little bit as to what the show is, and kind of clarified a few things and freshened up after 150 episodes. Yeah, I think freshened freshened is a good word. Yeah, yeah just a little a little change, a little something new, a little touch uh, up, and. Yeah. Uh, Derek was kind enough to jam us into his schedule because he's not exactly not busy and uh, produce those words. And you'll hear him again in the outro uh, with a little freshened up bit of business back there. So thank you so much, Derek, for getting us into your schedule and giving us something that I think will last for at least the next 150, if not further. Definitely. Yeah. So we also want to uh, give a shout out. We've been shouting out these guys a lot lately, but they're doing such good work. Uh, analysis Paralysis, which we've talked about a few times, and we actually reviewed it back in episode 138, uh, which is a film, romantic comedy, from Jason T. Gaffney and Ed Gaffney. They wrote it together, and of course, Suzanne Brockman uh, was the one of the producers behind it. It's actually got its uh, world premiere set, and it'll be unspooling for the first time in public at Reeling, which is the Chicago LGBTQ Plus International Film Festival. It'll be screening on Thursday, September 27th. Uh, Suze and Ed and Jason and his co-star Kevin Held will be there. They'll be doing a Q&A afterwards. It sounds like it's going to be a great bash. I wish we could be in Chicago that would be fun. to see it. But unfortunately, we can't. But if you're in the Chicago area, you can check it out. We will put a link to the show notes uh, for the tickets for that, which actually go on sale later this week on Friday, August 24th. Uh, we should also mention, because we've been talking about their Kickstarter for Out of Body, it is now fully funded, and it actually looks like they'll make their stretch goals by the time that ends on this Tuesday. So congratulations to them for that. Teenage secret agent Theo Reese is back in action in Schooled, the second book in the Codename Winger series. Theo's high school computer science club is gearing up for a competition, and he agrees to lend his knowledge of cybersecurity to help them win. The covert agency he secretly works for also needs his talents when an encrypted key that allows access to the nation's electrical grid has been stolen. The file shows up at the competition as one of those to be decoded. Theo must find a way to be both an average high school student and TOS agent winger. The file must be secured, all while protecting his teammates from those who will use any means necessary to get the file for themselves. Schooled is available in ebook and paperback wherever books are sold. And if you missed Theo's first mission, pick up Tracker Hacker today. You know what we haven't done in a long time? What's that? We haven't talked about Pose on FX. That's true. Um, no, I bet you we at least <laughs> mentioned Pose once last week with the... Uh... With that movie that we watched. I don't think we did. Anyway. We may not have. This is a definite Pose-adjacent film that we're talking about today. So, uh, Pose, of course, wrapped up its summer run. If you haven't yet seen Pose, I'm sure it's available currently on 
FX Now, yes, which is FX Channel's streaming service. And if you are listening to this episode in the far-flung future, I'm sure it's also available on other streaming platforms. So if you haven't given Pose a chance, please do so. I love this show so very, very much. Now, transitioning into what we're really going to talk about, <laughs> uh, Jeff and I last night watched the film Kiki. Um, it's a documentary that came out in 2017, and it's essentially, um, I, most people are calling it a sequel in spirit to mm-hmm. uh, Paris is Burning. Paris is Burning. It's essentially a um, present day modern look at the ballroom scene in New York. And like uh, Paris is Burning, it follows. A certain number of characters over a certain amount of time and sort of gives you insights to um, their lives and their hopes and their dreams and their struggles um, while uh, focusing on uh, kiki parties uh, that um, happen in this uh, sort of ballroom culture. Mm-hmm. Um, as I mentioned, it happens, uh, the, the directors and the producers manage to collect footage over a uh, an extended period of time, actually several years. We watch um, one of our characters uh, actually transition. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, at one point, one of the house mothers is encouraging uh, his children to... Uh, the, they were talking about the re-election of Obama and how important it is for their community. Uh, that We also get some insight from some of the house mothers when the Supreme Court... Um, make uh, marriage, gay marriage, the law of the land. So uh, some of the footage is uh, from several years ago, uh, but still relevant, still really fantastic. Um, If you liked Paris is Burning, I highly recommend you check out Kiki. What did you think? I liked it a lot. I mean, I'm a fan of Paris is Burning. I'm a fan of, obviously, Pose, because we've talked about that a lot here. Uh, A few things that struck me, uh, rather profoundly uh, is the fact that some of the ex- the same issues that we see I honestly it's been a long so long since we've seen Paris it's burning that I can't remember if it's covered there but it's certainly uh, covered in pose which takes place 20 25 years ago in the 80s is that these folks in Kiki talk about uh, the homelessness that affects this community uh, the high rates of HIV that affect this community. And it struck me how little some things have changed, um, especially in the African-American gay community or LGBTQ community to open the, to open up the spectrum a little bit more. And that, that saddened me a little bit. But yet the, the hope here is that these people are all survivors. They're out there living their art, participating in these things, finding their means of expression while all this other stuff happens around them and trying to really draw their community and rise their community up. So I don't want you to think this is a a downer of a film. It is not at all. But it did strike me that 20 years, 25 years on, this is still an issue. And they even comment about that in this film too, that some of these things are still an issue. Um, but the film is also quite exuberant in some ways. Um, these people find ways to make their lives good and bind themselves together and, and rise up. 
the other thing that was particularly striking as we're, you know, two years into a disastrous presidency is there is a clip in here uh, from President Obama that took place probably 2016 because he's talking about the Supreme Court uh, being under advisement for that case that will later, you know, get happen in, in that June. And it's LGBTQ day at the White House or something. And he's making his remarks and you're just like, that's what a president's supposed to be, that person. And so you just kind of yearn to get that back into the White House too. That's my tangents on Kiki, which I really enjoyed. It was it was a wonderful two hours. Um, and it's streaming on Hulu right now and perhaps some other um, streaming services as well. We'll have some links in the show notes for it for sure. Uh, I have a couple books to move on and talk about. Uh, I was a, I turned into a big fan of C.B. Lee's uh, Sidekick series a few episodes back. I talked about Not Your Sidekick, which is book one, and uh, I just recently finished book two. Uh, this one is Bells' story. Uh, in Not Your Sidekick, he became a superhero in his own right, uh, known as the Chameleon. Uh, he, I, I don't remember reading this and getting this in uh, the first book, but in this one, we know that he's trans. Uh, so this is from a trans point of view, which was a very, a very good point of view to be reading here. Uh, the book itself takes place before, during, and after the events in Not Your Sidekick. So we get to see Bells uh, before we even met him in, in that first book, which is great. Seeing a little bit of his childhood, how he developed and started to understand his powers. Uh, why he's special, because it's mostly believed that the... The mutation that's turning people into these metahumans uh, was all caused because of the big solar flare incident that happened. But usually you had somebody else in your family that had the gene and passed it on. In his case, his parents, grandparents don't have it at all. He is a mutant on his own, which freaks some people out in the government. So this story continues the story of the sidekick squad as they try to uncover the events that have led the Heroes League of Heroes. And how's that for a great name? The Heroes League of Heroes. Uh, and there's also the Villains League of Villains, too, just to have the alternate side of it. Uh, the Heroes League has this very corrupt, this corruption going on. Um, its leader, Captain Orion, has gone off on a power-hungry craze to become the, the superest meta of them all and has been capturing people and... Uh, a whole resistance kind of crops up around that, and they're very much at the forefront of the resistance. Um, I love what CB, in the same way that with all the superhero meta-human stuff that was going on in the first book that she really explored, uh, love, bisexual love, lesbian love, uh, teen love, and all that stuff in the first book. Here, we really get Bells' story and, and his search for love and the crush he's had on this girl forever <laughs> and that he can't find it within himself to talk to her about it while he's going around and doing all these super things and even discovering more about the, the the bounds of his powers which are really quite large far larger than anybody expected um she needs to hurry up and write book three <laughs> let me just say that flat out because this was awesome she ramps up the 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 intensity of the stories, but at the same time binds this group of friends together and their sidekick squad. 
far more than I could have ever imagined uh, happening in a book too. Uh, so please write it soon. I know you're working on it. We talked about it at the LA Times Festival of Books back in April, but I need it kind of now. Um, so yeah, check out Not Your Villain uh, and the uh, Not Not Your Villain and Not Your Sidekick if you haven't done it yet. It'd be perfect books to wrap up your summer reading. I promise that. Uh, also, quickly, I want to give a shout out to Reese Ford's Savior. Uh, I've been lucky enough to read an arc of this book. If you recall back a few episodes back, because I didn't, I forgot to look this one up. Uh, I adored uh, Rebel, which was the first book in the 415 Inc. series. This new one comes out in middle September. Reese is going to be here in 154. Um, I'll fully review this in 154, but it is up on pre-order right now. So you should go get this. And if you haven't read Rebel yet, you should read that. So you're ready to pick up this sequel. So there you go. Fantastic. My reading in a nutshell. Now, guys, if you want to uh, check out any of the books that we've just discussed, um, you can find the links in the show notes. We use affiliate links. Um, so if if you happen to clicky-click on them, a few pennies will go our way and help support this show. Yes. Now, you can also help support the Big Gay Fiction Podcast with a monthly pledge through Patreon. For as little as 25 cents an episode, your pledge helps pay for the cost of producing and distributing this show. And for fans who pledge at the silver and gold levels, you'll have the exclusive opportunity to ask questions of some of our upcoming guests. Um, we've been banking a couple of interviews, some really amazing interviews, by the way. Um, but we still got a list up on Patreon uh, to see what's coming up. Um, also, all patrons have the option to have a personalized thank you sent directly to them. Uh, we sent you a cute little card with like a sticker and a magnet. It's, it's wonderful. So, <laughs> also I want to bring up any month that uh, we have pledges that meet our uh, monthly production costs. We'll produce a special bonus show, especially for our pa patrons patrons on patreon <laughs> yes it's very alliterative that way <laughs> and in just a few moments we're going to be recording the august special bonus patreon episode now for details on how you can help support this show all you have to do is go to our patreon page at patreon.com slash big gay fiction podcast that is p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash big gay fiction podcast Want to hang out with us between shows? Check us out on Facebook. You never know what we might post. News about book sales, bonus video content, and maybe even a live broadcast or two. Like us today at facebook.com slash biggayfictionpodcast and see what we get up to next. So I think one of the great things of this summer was discovering the West 40s web series that uh, came out a few weeks ago. We had the opportunity to talk to Brian Sloan, who's one of the creative forces behind that series, to find out the origin story of it and to get an idea of what might be happening with the rest of the series. So shall we check that out? Yes. I'm excited to welcome Brian Sloan to the podcast. Brian is a novelist, playwright, screenwriter, and director. His acclaimed books include 2005's A Really Nice Prom Mess and 2006's A Tale of Two Summers. He also wrote and directed 2005's WTC View, which starred Michael Urey in the film version. Brian's latest project is the pilot for West 40s, which premiered on YouTube in middle July. Welcome, Brian. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We, we loved West 40s. Uh, we reviewed it the week after uh, it dropped on YouTube. And it was, it was so great to see this comedy about 40-somethings in the West 40s. 
after our time in New York, we know that area very well. Um, so that was it was yeah. kind of a little visit back home too. Um, <laughs> what was the inspiration for West Forties? Um, well, it really started because Mark Sam Rosenthal, who is my writing partner and co-creator on this project, uh, was living in the neighborhood. Um, he had been living there for a number of years, and we had already started working together as writing partners. We had done another TV show, which was more of like a drama. Um, and then after that one, uh, we did a pilot for this other show, which didn't really get picked up. So then we started thinking about what else we wanted to do. And we felt like we wanted to do something that was more reflective of us and kind of our friendship and our sense of humor and something that was kind of more comic. I mean, we're definitely, we uh, crack each other up a lot <laughs> when we're hanging out. And I think, um, you know, that was sort of the source of the, very vague initial concept. And then he was living in the neighborhood and it just turned 40 and he was like, Hey, we could call it West forties. Um, and that's sort of where the idea kind of came out of really because of his living in that neighborhood. And I knew the neighborhood well, cause I had had a number of friends who lived there over the years. I worked in that neighborhood a lot on various films and freelance jobs. So, um, so yeah, it was an area that I was really familiar with um, probably outside of the area where I was living, which was the West village. That was probably the area of town I was most familiar with. Cause uh, yeah, I would go up there for work. And, and also of course it's where all the Broadway shows are. So I would see a few of those every now and then. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that world was, uh, was familiar to me too. And so, yeah, we just started talking about a show set in the neighborhood about guys in their forties and it took a while for us to kind of figure out exactly what, what it would be. But, you know, the more we talked about it, the more we decided or realized, like, it just should be uh, a comedy, really, about aging as opposed to, I feel like when this subject is dealt with, you know, gay men in their 40s, it's often dealt with in a much more tragic or kind of like, woe is me sort of way. <laughs> and we really wanted to come at it um, from a funnier perspective realistic, you know, because there are challenges about being in your 40s and being gay and living in midtown Manhattan. But, um, you know, we, we just wanted to find the humor in those situations. And that's sort of where the real concept for the show kind of took hold. How did you decide on the character types to populate with? Because you certainly cut across a number with the friend group that's in place there. Oh, yeah, we definitely, you know, decided we wanted to have like a pretty diverse group of friends. And again, reflective of our friends in a way, you know, and so we just started thinking about, you know, kind of people we knew and started combining ideas about that. And, you know, that actually took a, took a while for us to figure out who all these characters were going to be. Um, and uh I think the first one that we were pretty clear on was uh, TJ, who is the character that Mark Sam plays in the show. Um, character, you know, loosely inspired by by him, but also kind of like, you know, different than him in, in other respects, too, which we'll see as the show develops. But um, I think that was sort of a little bit of a starting point. And then we really just started 
you know, thinking about other, you know, types that we wanted represented in the show. Like we both have friends who are, you know, kind of in long-term committed relationships. So we like that idea of having one character who's really in a long-term committed relationship. And that's Jeff Hiller's character in the show. Um, and how that would kind of play out as, as part of the series. Um, then we talked about this kind of daddy phenomenon, which, uh, you know, this idea of somebody who in their twenties is maybe not considered like super attractive or, but doesn't really hit their stride, like until they turn 40 and kind of become the quote unquote daddy type. And that's where we came up with the idea for, uh, for Dante's character. Um, so yeah, we, we spent a lot of time probably I don't know, two or three months, I think, just talking about these different characters and how, who they would be and how they would kind of like interact with each other and know each other. So, um, so yeah, that's sort of where that's, that's the process that, you know, we came up with these five guys. And, and I know one thing we talked about in that process was like, it can't be four because if it's four, then they'll compare the show to sex in the city. And we didn't want that. So we have five. So no comparisons can be had, right? (laughs) That's funny. I had not considered that the number of people was important. If anything, I kind of likened it for better or worse to, you know, what the show Friends might look like if you if those characters had aged up into their 40s. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah I think, but, you know, we, we definitely talked about that show a lot when we were thinking about putting this together. Um I think another influence for us actually was a, a show on Comedy Central where Mark Sam works, um, a show, uh, Broad City, which is such a very New York kind of show. And they, I feel like they they use New York very brilliantly in that show in terms of some of the storylines and the sense of humor in that show is really kind of wacky and a little off kilter. And we like that idea as well. So, yeah, we definitely... Um, you know, we, we definitely talked about shows we liked and, and, you know, started thinking about how we can kind of, kind of create our own show that sort of is, uh, is in the, in that vein. Another show, which was actually a digital show like ours was, um, the outs. Have you ever seen the outs? I have not. Um, it's Adam Goldman's show, which is about a group of, you know, guys who are more in their twenties, but it's also just very, well made very well written actually the writing on that show is fantastic and um the characters are just really really vivid it's a um it's just a really strong show it's a little bit more there's there's definitely humor in that show but it's more on the the drama side there's a relationship at the core of it um of the first season and really the second season too um so yeah those were some of the shows we were you know talking about and we were fans of so um that definitely was kind of part of our process too Mm -hmm. now currently you've only made the pilot i understand which was helped with uh the kickstarter that happened uh yeah Mm -hmm. what what are you exploring to help get this two series uh to continue it um, well, we decided to kind of put it out there on YouTube to sort of see, you know, people's reaction to it and really start building an audience for the show so that we can, you know, find either some sort of a 
financing deal with investors or kind of a production company who might want to um, uh, partner with us to make the rest of the series. Because, yeah, we did the, the pilot was done very independently. We did a Kickstarter and then we found um, a couple additional investors outside of the Kickstarter um, who just really loved this idea. So now we're kind of looking for more of that and a production company and, you know, Netflix can give us a call if they want. Um, I can give you my number right now and they can just give me a ring, you know, either, you know, whatever works, we're open to different things. So <laughs> we've seen any number of kind of configurations with some of the creators we've had on the show. We've seen the full Kickstarter route where they fund their entire six or seven episode season that way. And, Mm-hmm. folks that you know kind of kickstart at the end to get post-production done to folks who just you know do the old-fashioned raise the money and then shoot the show and make sure they've got distribution ahead of time it seems like there's a lot of ways to do it and although none of them seem that easy yeah i mean i think the key is really kind of just putting it out there is what we thought and just really you know, just seeing what the response would be. And, and we've, we've been kind of overwhelmed actually by the response and how quickly actually people um, have found the show because we really, I mean, we don't have, we didn't have an advertising budget. We just put it out there on YouTube ourselves and, you know, told our Kickstarter fans and the people who worked on the show and posted it on our social media. But since then that was less than, two weeks ago, um, our YouTube channel now has over 80,000 views and we're getting a new subscriber for the show like once every 10 minutes, roughly. That's, so that's excellent. It's kind of, yeah, no, it's really remarkable. And, and I realized too, you know, they have these um, analytics where you can look on YouTube and see where these hits are coming from. And I realized over the weekend that almost like a thousand people have shared our link. And that's, I think the key to the the success of the pilot is that people are watching it. They really love it. And then they're just like sharing it with their friends and saying like, Oh, you should check that out. You should check this out. And, uh, and I feel, you know, that's sort of really growing the, the number of people seeing it really quickly. So it's good for us. And it's also, you know, because we're we're definitely getting some attention from industry people and from private investors. We've talked to some private investors in the last few days, and also to a production company as well. So, yeah, we'll see. You know where it all lands, but we we have scripted six episodes for the first season, and we want to try to start production on the next episode um, this fall. So, hopefully, um, we'll have more soon the cast is uh is ready and and waiting (laughs) that's great you've got six episodes written i was going to ask kind of how much you had written and uh is there anything you can maybe tease to us a little bit on where things may go in those six episodes um i guess people get older no i don't know (laughs) uh there's a lot that happens that i can tell you like a little bit about the structure of the show, which we, you know, wanted to be sort of an episodic series in that each episode is meant as sort of a standalone story. That's about one of the major characters in the show. 
so that each character of this group of five kind of has their own episode where they're sort of the focus and other people are definitely in it, but it's, you know, each character kind of has their own story throughout the season. Um, Cause I like that idea of just really, you know, kind of creating like a little short film each time. And so the running times of episodes, you know, range from like 12 minutes to 20 minutes, depending on the story that we want to tell. And um, so that to me was exciting in doing a digital show and that you had that flexibility to make the episodes as long, you know, essentially as they need to be. So um, I will say there's some love and um, sex and uh, a lot of back pain coming up too. So it's all in there. A lot as of back the, pain. It's a theme song <laughs> promises. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That's certainly one of the things you get when you get older, for sure. I can attest to that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and that was inspired by definitely real events. <laughs> <laughs> I like what you're saying about each character getting their own show because that that seems like a great thing to do for a season one so that if you get to a two, now we've had these nice stories about everybody to bridge into the next yeah. season. So we've had this great introduction and flexible run times I think are great too for for the creators. I've seen you know, shows on cable in particular, FX seems to have no real runtime for some of its shows. Because I've seen episodes of American Crime Story and even of Pose that can be 63 minutes or they might be an hour and 22 minutes. It's like, yeah, it's getting yeah, looser out there somebody, for some of the cable channels. We talked to somebody, you know, a more traditional production company last week and they were like, Oh, well, would you do this as like a half hour show, you know, for TV essentially like for uh, cable or something somewhere. And, you know, we were like, sure. I mean, it could, it could definitely be, be that too. You know, we are, I think the key thing is that we, you know, have this kind of idea, this general idea about what's it like to be in your forties and be gay and, and, and looking at that through, you know, comedy um, and then we have these, you know, five great guys who are all really interesting characters. And I think that's one of the unifying comments we've gotten from people about the show is everybody just wants to know more about these guys. You know, you kind of get little tidbits about them in the opening. Um, you get a little bit more about Luis, I think, than everyone else, just because it's his birthday. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and we really kind of do deeper dives into everyone's characters in these uh in these episodes that are part of season one mm -hmm. yeah fingers crossed you get to get to series because uh, definitely want to see see much more yeah um, yeah looking at your broader career as a creator you've tackled so many different genres of stories you certainly got the comedic right now with west 40s but then, you know, you swing way dramatic with something like WTC View, which for folks who don't know is a story that takes place the day before 9-11 and then tracks out some months after that. Do you yeah. have a favorite genre that you tend to work in or is it all about just what's striking you in a moment? I think I, I lean a little, you know, towards comedy um, as like, a genre that I, you know, enjoy working in. I think, um, 
you know, it's just always been something I've been interested in. And I remember, you know, like when I was in film school at NYU, the films that I did were, you know, meant to be sort of funny and, you know, were comedies. And, and at film school, you know, they, they definitely were much more interested in very serious art kind of films. <laughs> so I, I always felt like I was going a little against the, the indie filmmaker grain. But, you know, for me, I, I really... I like making people laugh and uh, I have been told that, you know, the stuff I write is very funny. So I think that's always been like a little bit of a default for me. And I, and I really enjoy that. I think um, with WTC view, it was definitely an, an unusual project, you know, in general, but definitely for me. Um, but, you know, even in that story, I felt what I wanted to do was have humor in that, story too because i felt it was realistic in depicting how people were talking in those weeks those kind of strange days after 9-11 days and weeks where you know people really used humor as a way to kind of cope with the insanity that was going on around us if you lived in lower manhattan so i think i like that the way that comedy you know isn't just to make someone laugh but it's a way people deal with tragedy you can also kind of deal uh, a sly political message sometimes too into uh, comedies, uh, and I and I like that. I sort of with um, my film, I think I do, which was about a gay couple at a straight couple's wedding, talking about you know getting married themselves. You know, there was kind of like a sly you know bit of inserting that political story um, into the uh, into the comedy and doing it through humor, you know, at a time when that movie was made, it was 1998. So gay marriage was still quite a few years away and considered somewhat um, radical, I think. So, so yeah, I think I like using humor because you can sometimes address serious subjects and, uh, and make some interesting commentary too. For sure. We, we actually recently watched, uh, I think I do over again, uh, cause it had been quite some time and, love the humor in it and especially for that time as you mentioned the you know kind of sliding in that political message then too because we were still what was it like almost near 20 years from marriage equality at that point yeah it was still quite a ways off you know there was definitely uh and i remember like people reading that script and when it was in the script stage and definitely getting comments from people like, well, you, you treat this like it's not a big deal that these guys are getting married. I'm like, well, it isn't. <laughs> I mean, that's the whole point. Like, why should it be, you know? And that's sort of part of the comedy in that too. But it, there's also like a subtle, um, you know, message there as well. And I, and I really love comedies that have that, you know, like I think one of my idols as a, filmmaker and a writer is Billy Wilder and the movies um, that he made, because I feel like his comedy uh, is hilarious, but there's definitely always something else happening underneath the jokes uh, where, you know, either he's commenting on the human condition or, you know, on, on political subjects. I mean, he made a comedy about, you know, World War II and made a number of comedies about World War II. And it's like, at a time when, you know, that subject was probably not considered very funny in the early 1950s, but he did it, you know, brilliantly. And those movies still hold up today. So 
he's definitely one of my favorites. Such an excellent choice. Yeah, I, I, I can kind of see, yeah, why you would be so drawn to that, given and, and, and his diversity of work, too, because he also worked in far more than comedy, of course. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, he definitely did a lot of different kinds of films in his in his career. Um, and some of them, you know, are, are real classics and others are, you know, a little bit more uh, experimental, like Ace in the Hole, which is, um, you know, a very, very interesting and sort of dark movie. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I like that. And I, I like to have in my own work sort of a, like a broad range of uh of topics and subjects and uh, and different <laughs> volumes of comedy, I guess you could say, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> turning it up all the way to eleven, or you know, a little bit more subtle in a movie like um, WTC View. Now, besides genre hopping, essentially, you also uh, write across various formats between books and stage and screen. And in some cases, even adapting your work from one form to the other. This is mm-hmm. kind of another question along the same one with the genre. Is there a, pl- a place that you like to create the most? Or do you think about what you're trying to say and then the format that fits it? Um, I think it usually comes down to, yeah, I think it, I try to decide you know, early on before I start something like, well, what's the best medium for something like this? Um, like with WTC view, I just remember thinking about that. And I, when I first started thinking about it, I just felt like, Oh, there's no way this could be a movie. It would just be really hard as a film. I saw it as a very, you know, kind of intimate drama. It's all really set in one location. Most of it is actually sort of set in one room in the play. We changed that a little bit for the film, but, um, but yeah, I feel like I try to decide that early in the process of something starting, but, you know, oftentimes, you know, things go from one genre to the next. Um, the uh, the book that I did, A Really Nice Prom Mess, the first novel that I did, um, that actually started out as a, as a feature film. Um, I didn't write the script, but I had written a treatment around the time of WTC View, or actually a little bit before WTC View. Um, sorry, before I think I do. And... Uh, I had done a treatment for that story about a gay guy who kind of goes to the prom on a secret double date. And I remember talking and, you know, with producers and trying to shop this concept around and everybody was just like, well, you know, nobody will make a movie with a gay teenage lead. It's just not going to happen in, you know, the mid nineties, um, which was a true statement, unfortunately. So I kind of put that project in a drawer and then when I got the opportunity to do these young adult books for Simon and Schuster, um, they asked me to, you know, pitch them some ideas and I pitched that and they loved it. And then, and then it, the idea went from being a screenplay to a, to a novel. So, so, and, and, and I'd love to make that movie eventually. Now that, now that you can have a gay teenage lead in a movie, I think that's time for that movie to get made. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Love, love, love Simon paid your way that. on that one. Yeah, yeah. I really, I enjoyed Love, Simon. I thought it was really sweet. So a really nice prom mess is like a little edgier than Love, Simon, but hopefully, you know, there might be some uh, some latitude now that uh, that movie has sort of paved the way, definitely. So, so, yeah, I mean, you know, I try to kind of 
fix something before I start, but oftentimes things, you know, will go from one genre to, uh, to the next. Mm-hmm. Is there something in the realm that you've been looking at either with genre or, or a writing style that you have it tackled that might be on your bucket list? Well, I've always, I just, yeah, I've always been told like I should be writing a Broadway musical. (laughs) It's something I've never like seriously thought about, but I, I, keep hearing this from other people and I, and I do love going to see Broadway shows. I just saw um, the Go-Go's musical last night, Head Over Heels. And, um, and I would love to write a Broadway show. I mean, I have no clue what that would be, but (laughs) I definitely would love to um, to try to do something like that because I, I really love that genre. And uh, I mean, I don't write music, um, so I did, you know, come up with the lyrics for our theme song <laughs> on West 40s, <laughs> but um, I would have to find, obviously, somebody who's a very talented uh, songwriter. But yeah, I think uh, doing a, a big musical would be a, would be a lot of fun, definitely. That, that sounds awesome. As a, as a major musical fan myself, it's. It's like, you know, anytime I can go see a good musical, I'm, I'm very down with that. If anybody ever wants to translate my work into a musical, I'm very into that because that won't be me doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I say, you know, well, and I think, go forth and be a book writer and a lyric writer and let somebody else figure out the musical part. <laughs> yeah. No, and I think, I mean, I know friends of mine who, who have uh, who've done it and done brilliant work in that realm. Um uh, my good friend David Zelnick and his brother Joe did a show called a musical called Yank, which is about um, gay servicemen in World War II. And it's just such an amazing show. And they've had productions around the U.S. and they've had productions in Brazil and in London. And hopefully it'll make it to Broadway eventually. Um, I hope so. It, it being, so deserves to be there. We saw that at its off-Broadway, one of the off-Broadway incarnations. And it was it was stunning. Oh, cool. Yeah, no, that was like, I mean, I've, I've known David forever. And, uh, and so I've followed the different productions of that show. I, I've lost count of how many times I've seen it, but I just love that show and, and what they did with it. So, so yeah, I would like to do it, but I do know, you know, the one, I think my one reservation about a Broadway show is I know it's incredibly hard. I would say it's probably one of the, the most difficult genres to write in because it's, you know, it's really, it's tough to get that right. Um, when people do, it's brilliant. Um, but uh, it's really, it's really tough to make that work. But, uh, but I'd be willing to give it a shot. I would definitely come to see it because I would like to see, I'd like to see what you would create with that. Oh, thanks. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it would be a lot of fun too, you know. Now, you've created LGBTQ plus stories for many years now. How do you feel that the landscape of getting that content into the world has evolved over that time? Well, I mean, it's been remarkable how much it's evolved. I remember when I was in film school and I was doing my short film pool days, which ended up as part of the boys life series. Um, that I was told, you know, if you make this film, you're not going to have a career in filmmaking. Like nobody's making these sort of movies. And that was 1993. 
Um, and that was a true statement. Nobody was making those movies. Um, but that's certainly changed in, in the, you know, 20, almost 30 years, I guess, since then, um, that the, you know, genre LGBT storytelling in film and especially in TV, it's just, um, blossomed, you know, and I think it's incredible. I think the range of material is fantastic. I love that, you know, there's shows that people hate and there's shows that people love. And I think that's great too. You know, I think there should be a wide range. Like, so, you know, one piece is not representing the entire LGBT community because how could it? So I think now you see shows that are out there like uh, Pose, which just, you know, is out now on FX, um, taking a look at like the trans community and the ballroom scene. And, you know, I think that's an incredible show. Yeah, there's just such, so much out there these days. Um, and I just saw this show that uh, Hugh Grant did. I think it was like a BBC. Oh, no, it was for Amazon called A Very British Scandal. Have you seen this show? Yeah, we just watched I've it a couple of weeks it. ago, actually, and, and uh, reviewed it. Um, oh, so, I mean, I thought that was incredible. And again, I love that that show, you know, is is looking at a at LGBT issues. But I mean, that politician is certainly, you know, no angel <laughs> <laughs> for sure. So I like that there can be, you know, gay characters now that are not perfect. Um, they're human. And I think that to me is the biggest sign of progress um, is that, you know, the characters in LGBT stories these days don't have to represent the entire community. They can be incredibly flawed. They can be interesting. They can be real. Um, and I think that's, you know, for us, what really uh, is behind West forties, we just wanted to show real guys in their forties and what that's like. Um, and they're not all going to be, you know, perfect role models for sure, <laughs> but they are going to be real. And, uh, and I think, you know, because of the genre working and they're, they're going to be really funny too. So, um, I just love that there's, there's that choice these days mm -hmm. of, of a lot to see, you know, are there stories in your opinion that desperately need to be told that are still kind of tucked away? Um, well, I, w I would definitely, you know, make an argument for our West forties as one of those, because I feel like, you know, there's a lot of content out there now, especially online that's aimed and made for millennials. Um, but I feel like this age group, you know, kind of disappears when you look at um, movies and, and TV shows about uh, LGBT people. And, you know, that's part of, you know, our desire in this show, because we really felt that this age group was not being represented at all. Like it just sort of like, disappeared off the map in a way, you know? So I feel like there, there should be more stories about this, about, you know, guys in, in their forties, guys in their fifties, you know, there's another show being developed called silver foxes, which is about senior citizens who are um, gays and lesbians uh, from one of the writers of golden girls. So I would like to see more stories about, uh, you know, gay men and lesbians and trans people aging. Cause I feel like, you know, that's a subject people can really relate to. And I know 
from the comments that we've gotten about this show, it's like one of the recurring comments is people are like, thank, thank you for making this. Cause I can, you know, it's so nice to see my experience, you know, out there. So I feel like that's, that's definitely, you know, an area where I'd like to see a lot more stories, not just ours. Of course, I want to see many seasons of ours, but there's uh, certainly many approaches you can take to this, um, this topic, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, pivoting again to one of your more early things, we loved your two young adult novels. Will and I both did. Um, any more novels in your future somewhere? Um, I would love to write another novel. I definitely uh, have some ideas that are kind of like in a drawer somewhere. Well, I actually know where it's sitting right across from me here at my desk. Um, but uh, novels take a long time to write. That is, that is for sure. And, you know, it's, it's a very intensive process. And lately, because of West 40s and also because of two other TV projects I'm developing, I just haven't had much time to think about the, uh, the, the uh, fictional, literary fictional world. So I would love to do some more um, novels, but uh, I don't know how imminent they will be. But soon, you know, maybe. It's good to know that they're in the offing, potentially. Projects. Yeah. Yeah, and especially I really loved working in the young adult genre too, because I just felt um, it's a genre that's open to writers having a lot of fun, you know, without um, too much uh, seriousness. I mean, there's definitely serious young adult novels, but I feel like uh, I really enjoyed it because you just had a lot of freedom to be, um, to be, to have fun as a writer, you know, mm -hmm. and that, that I enjoyed. Now, of course, trying to get West 40s to series is, is critical in the upcoming uh, weeks and months. What other projects, you just alluded to two TV projects, uh, what else might be coming up that you can uh, talk to us about in the future? Um, I'm working on two projects. One, actually, with, um, with David Zelnick from uh, Yank, um, which is a, a series... I don't know how much I can say about it right now, but it's, uh, I would say it's sort of a romantic comedy type series. Um, and then the other project I'm working on is something of my own, which is a limited series that's based on a true story from the uh, 20th century. I can, I can say that much. <laughs> and that's a broad that landscape be, you have to work there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it's definitely, uh, a very racy LGBT story from the 20th century, but um, hopefully there'll be more news about that project soon. Excellent. Very yeah. exciting to hear that there's good stuff coming. Yeah. So, yeah. No, it's been a really exciting year with West forties and these other two projects. So, um, so yeah, hopefully I'll, I'll definitely have some more news on these soon. Excellent. What's the best way for folks to keep up with you uh, with what you're working on and what's coming out? Um, well, for West 40s, definitely uh, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or you can also subscribe to our email list, which is through our website, which is west40s.com or west40s.tv. Uh, and then for myself, um, I have a website, too, which is briansloan.com, 
and you can just kind of see, you know, it has links to all the other films I've done in the books. And um, on Twitter and Instagram, I am Hi-Fi Brian, as in a Hi-Fi stereo. Nice. I like that name. That's cool. We will. Uh, it's an we'll... old nickname from when I was in middle school, <laughs> which uh, which sort of stuck. Yeah, th- th- there are worse ones to have. So that and actually, I think that one's pretty good. So. Yeah, it was pretty good. It was uh, it was definitely a fun nickname. <laughs> so we will link up to all of that stuff uh, in our show notes, so people can find West Forties and those various other ways to keep up with you. Brian, thank you so much for hanging out with us and telling us about all this good stuff. Much appreciated. Oh, sure. It was really great to uh, to talk to you about all the excitement, especially on, on West 40s. And we're really thrilled about how it's been received and, and hope to have more, more episodes uh, soon. As always, it was a complete pleasure to have Brian on the show. I'm so glad that he took the time to come by and talk to us. Yeah, for sure. It was Great to hear about the series and really hoping that uh, they find what they need distribution-wise to be able to go on and produce the rest of the six-episode uh, first season. We encourage you guys to go check out uh, West 40s on YouTube. Give it a like. Uh, subscribe to the channel. They've been doing some Q&As recently that they plan to continue as they kind of work their way towards being able to produce the rest of the, of the uh, series. So do, do check that out. Fantastic. Okay, everyone, I think that will do it for this week's episode. Coming up next week in episode 151, author Hank Edwards is here, and he's going to be the first in our series of interviews with Coastal Magic featured authors. And he'll be here to tell us about the uh, releases that he's had this past summer and what he's looking forward to at the con in 2019. Yeah, it was great to talk to Hank. Uh, He's got a couple things out this summer, including... uh, a latest in his Critter Catcher series, so it's good to catch up with him on that. Fantastic. So guys, remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. For detailed show notes and links to everything discussed in this episode, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday at all major podcast distributors. You can also find us on YouTube. I'm Derek McLean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.